Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So good morning once again. And like I said earlier, we find ourselves in the third week of Advent. So we've got the Advent candle here. And this year we are focusing on the words of Advent. Kind of doing a couple of different things, having different readings about the uh, different aspects of the candles. And then we're going to talk about a couple of the other words of the candles. Um, Last week we talked about the word um, shalom or peace. And how we discovered that that's more than just an absence of um, conflict, as we would say, maybe peace. But um, the word shalom means to be made complete. And that's how God works in our lives. He makes us complete. Different definition of the word peace. Now, as you can see from the front of your bulletin, from the title of the message, um, we're talking about joy this morning. And we're talking about joy in the, in the lion's den. And maybe you've already made the connection that, that I made earlier in the week and what we're going to be talking about this morning. But we're going to be focusing on that word joy and how God's joy or the joy of the Lord, or the joy from God, works in our lives. And to illustrate that, how that works, and how that is, I would like to use um, how God's joy works in our hearts and in our lives. I'd like to use an illustration uh, from the Bible, an amazing historical account that God gives us um, in the book of Daniel. And again, I just want to mention that God gives us these narratives um, for us, so that we can understand them a little bit better, so that we can um, sink our teeth into them a little bit more. Just wait a second on that slide, Jennifer. Back up with me. So um, again, I want to use one of those amazing um, my, one of those amazing moments, um, and I want to understand uh, the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is an incredible book if you've never read it. And I'm going to get the understatement of the day out of the way that says it's, uh, there's a lot going on in the book of Daniel. It's not complicated, but it is very complex. Uh, for starters. Um, 605 B.C., um, um, Jerusalem was conquered by the the, uh, Assyrians, and Daniel and a bunch of people got drugged back to Babylon, and they were in captivity. And um, once Daniel was removed from Jerusalem, once he moved or was moved to Babylon, um, he never returned to Jerusalem again. It's an interesting story. Um, And as a result of that, he witnessed uh, firsthand the rise and fall of some of the world's uh, most uh, powerful nations, some of the world's uh, powerful kings and empires. Now, um, Daniel's captors um, at once, he almost immediately noticed that he had an exceptional wisdom. He had incredible gifts um, that were from God, um, especially the ability to interpret dreams and visions. Again, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit the book of Daniel. It's an incredible book, and, but we don't have time to go into all of that. But there's a common thread that goes through the book of Daniel. Um, And maybe you haven't heard it like this before, but um, God's presence is in the book of Daniel from start to finish. And it's actually a book of joy. Daniel is a book of joy, both past, present, and future. Now, the historical moment that I want to jump into with both feet here is the story of Daniel uh, being tossed into that pit full of of lions. See, one of the things we might not realize about Daniel is that he was um, arguably one of the greatest prime ministers Um, that the world has ever seen. I say prime minister because he wasn't the king, right? The prime minister runs the government um, in the king's stead. So think about that a moment. Um, Daniel's not only a foreigner, but he came to that land as a prisoner, right? And then again, he immediately was recognized for for his abilities, for his God-given abilities, um, both um, the things that, the way he uh, managed his life and the way he managed the government. Um, You might think of Joseph, you know, in the Old Testament as one of the greatest prime ministers, but he was there for a different time under different circumstances, Uh, and we'll certainly unpack that at a different time. But this morning I want to talk about Daniel. Um, To make a long, complicated story short, um, in chapter 6 of Daniel, there's a new king on the scene, um, and because of Daniel's wisdom, because of where Daniel has been and how he's been working on and his obvious gifts, um, this new king wants to um, promote Daniel. Now let's look at verse 3. 
Uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So he, he's going to make him basically prime minister. The only, thing, only person he would answer to is the king himself. That's what Daniel wants to do now. Obviously, this idea um, of this foreigner being placed over the entire empire didn't sit well with the ones that felt they deserved it more than Daniel. Um, the plot thickens here in verse 4. It says, but the other supervisors, the uh, satraps, heard about this. They were very jealous. They tried to find reasons to accuse Daniel. So they watched what Daniel did as he went about doing the business of the government. Uh, but they could not find anything wrong with him. So they could not accuse him of doing anything wrong. Daniel was a man people could trust. He did not cheat the king, and he worked very hard. So I like that last part. Daniel was a man people could trust. He didn't cheat, right? He worked very hard. They didn't care about any of that. They just said, ah, we've got to get rid of this guy because we don't want him in charge, even though he's doing an amazing job, even though he's um, for the people, he doesn't cheat. He's all these things, but the people still, or those satraps, those supervisors, uh, wanted to just get rid of him no matter what the cost, no matter what they had to do, what they had to say. So they kind of look around at each other, right? Let's imagine how this is going. They look around at each other because they can't find anything, to, any dirt on this guy, past, present, or future. So they kind of look at each other and they say, you know, has anybody got any bright ideas? And then one of them maybe came up with an idea that they said, ah, this might work. Um, everybody knew that Daniel's abilities came from the God, the living God that he trusted, the living God uh, that he um, devoted his life to. So they devised a plan on how to try to use his relationship with God against him. Here, look at verse 5. Finally, they said to one another, these supervisors and satraps said to each other, we'll never be able to bring any charge against Daniel unless it has to do with his religion. Now, we see the word religion there. I want you to think relationship, right? Unless it has to do with his relationship with the living God, unless it has to do with his relationship with God. Now, I just want to ask you about this for a moment here. You know, these these government officials broke the huddle. You know, they're high-fiving each other because of this brilliant plan that they've got, this uh, plotting each other for this brilliant maneuver that they're going through. Uh, because when they examined Daniel's life, they discovered that he was faithful in his duties. He was um, faultless in his character. Um, strong prayer life, strong devotion in his relationship to the creator of the universe. Um, and then they realized that that last part was the only thing that they were going to be able to use against him, his relationship with God. I think that's just incredibly amazing. I mean, if people were trying to find something against us, is that what they would say? We've got to use their relationship with God in order to do this. You know, what would your boss say? What would your coworkers say? What would your neighbors say? You know, can we dig up any dirt on this person? You know, is there anything in their past that we can, that we can use? Do, uh, do they slander people? Do they gossip? Do they lie? Do they steal? Right? Hopefully your friends, your family, your coworkers um, know about your relationship with God. Maybe that strong relationship with God. Daniel's enemies certainly knew about that. And they said, maybe, just maybe, we can use that against him. So again, the plot thickens once again. All these guys go to the king. They start buttering him up. They say words like, oh, king, live forever. And stuff like that. And they said, we think you're so amazing that we think we should make a new law. That for the next 30 days, that people can only pray to you. And we feel so strongly about this, O king, live forever. We feel so strongly if anybody breaks this law, they should be purged from the land. They should be executed by being tossed into that pit with all the lions that we're keeping over there. And I think maybe they convinced him by putting that 30-day thing on it. Let's just try this for 30 days and see what happens. Put a 30-day window on it. 
Because they knew, really, with Daniel, they only needed one day to do this. But still, 30 days, the king thought, yeah, why not? He said, write it up and I'll sign it. So they write it up and he signs it. By the way, at this time, anything the king ever signed could not be reversed. Any law that the king wrote and signed could not be reversed. Because if they reversed a law, that would be admitting that they had made a mistake somewhere along the way. So laws could not be reversed once they had been signed. So verse 10 says that Daniel knew full well about that decree. He saw it because they posted it. They said, for the next 30 days, you can only pray to the king. Daniel looked at it and he thought, hmm, okay. So he did what he always did. He went home, opened the windows that faced Jerusalem, got down on the floor, put his face, knelt down on the floor, uh, and he prayed, it says, three times that day, giving thanks to God for uh, what he had done. And that is what his custom was from his early days, Daniel's early days, that was his custom. So it was no surprise to anyone. In fact, it might have been the most predictable thing that happened that day that Daniel was going to pray. So the trap had been set to catch Daniel and it worked to perfection. Right? Daniel's enemies were there just waiting for it to happen, watching, witnessing, ready to jump on it. And when it did, they were ready to tell on him. They ran to the king. Ran to the king. They said things like this. They said, now, didn't you sign a decree that said nobody could pray to anybody else for 30 days except to you? Didn't you sign that? And he said, yes, I signed that. And he also says in there, yes, and it cannot be reversed. He reminded everybody, you know, once a king signs something, it cannot be reversed. And they said, well, man, that's really confusing because in verse 13, they said they told the king, and I like the wording here, that man, Daniel, you know, that, that man, Daniel, oh, by the way, this is the guy that he's going to put in charge of anything. He's going to make him the prime minister. You know that, that dude, Daniel? Yeah, well, one of the captives from Judah, they're putting him as low as they possibly can. You know, at this point, I may not have said this already, Daniel's probably about 80 years old at this point. He's an old man, right? He's been around the block a couple of times, and he's got the respect from the entire country. But he still referred to him as one of the captives from Judah. This that dude, Daniel, he's ignoring your law. Still praise to his God three times a day. The king was full of regret. He hadn't clearly thought this all the way through. Probably did, you know, one of those smack on the forehead kind of things, like, how could I have fallen for that? Scripture goes on to tell us that the king worked for the rest of the day trying to figure out a way to get out of this, some way to save Daniel. Remember, the king was uh, planning to hand everything over to Daniel, right? Put him in charge of the whole shooting match. But there's no way out, and the king's officials, they knew it all along. King probably knew it all the way along, too, but he, he worked at it. Tried to figure out a way to get, you know, a loophole to get Daniel out of this, and there certainly, there simply wasn't one. So the king ha- eventually has to give the order to have Daniel tossed into that pit. That's what they did in verse 16. But in verse 16, the king says this to him as they toss him in. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, look at these words here. Your God whom you continually serve, or serve continually, look at that, he will deliver you. Right? Daniel is a unique book in the Bible, and it uses some unique language, and it uses some unique terms. This is one of them. When it says he will, the Hebrew word for will deliver you, uh, shazav. Shazav, the word shazav is, it's, like I said, interesting when you start looking at these things, start unpacking them a little bit. That word, that Hebrew word is used seven times in the Old Testament. And every time it's in the book of Daniel. And every time it's referring to God delivering. All right? God delivering. The king says, the king says, he, your God, will deliver you. 
Three times it's used, like I said, there's a lot going on in the book of Daniel. You probably already know this already, but this word uh, shazab, shazab, it's kind of like shazam, except shazab, shazab. Um, three times it's used in reference to the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, right? Four times it's used uh, talking about delivering Daniel. Again, it's a unique word here. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. Um, all but one of the times it's used to describe how God will deliver his people. The other time it talks about how the king was unable to deliver his people, that only God was be, would be able to deliver Daniel. You know, Luke 18, I think, 18.27 says, what's impossible with people is possible with God. Right? God is the one who delivers us. God, we cannot deliver ourselves. The Bible also tells us that God, Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and in the future. Right? He has not only delivered us, he continues to deliver us, and he will deliver us in the future. Talking about being delivered, talking about angels, talking about God showing up when least expected. Um, when I was in the Air Force, I had to study Air Force history quite a bit. And I like history, so that was something that um, I was interested in. It's, there was always this promotion test on it, so I always, always did very well on that part. So I got a picture of a guy here. It's not really a who this moment, but this guy is named Scott Grady. 1995, I don't know if you remember this guy, Scott Grady. It was a huge deal. He even made the cover of Time Magazine. I think we have a picture of him on Time Magazine. Captain O'Grady was a fighter pilot. June 2nd, 1995, he was shot down over Bosnia and forced to eject from his F-16, his fighter jet, behind enemy lines. Um, if captured, obviously, life would have been rough, to say the least. He would have been a political pawn. It would have been a mess. And obviously, probably wouldn't have come back alive. But he did come back alive, and he, as he came back, when he came back, he gave all the credit to God. You know, he said, it was God. He said, I was rescued because of God's great love for me. You know, he said, as he's parachuting down, now just imagine this, you know, got an F-16 fighter jet coming down, shot down over Bosnia, and this guy parachutes out of there. I mean, is there anything more obvious in the sky than a parachute floating down, right? Is, I mean, and everybody started going over there. They're almost, he said they were almost waiting to greet him as he hit the ground, and yet they couldn't pinpoint his location. He had time. Now think about this. I mean, nuts and bolts here. He had time to gather up a chute, and I mean, they practice this on a regular basis and think you're never going to have to use this until you have to use this, right? Got a chute all wound up and got it hidden, got all that camel face paint on, and he hid for a week. Now, if you watch a parachute land... Right? You got a pretty good idea of where it's going to hit the ground. And these Bosnians were searching for him for a week. He said sometimes they were so close they almost stepped on him. But they never saw him. They never found him. And a week later, where's Tom? The United States Marine Corps shows up and rescues this guy, brings him back. So I can't help wonder if moments like this and people like this and, and events like this um, if this is a moment that God used, right, God used, God maybe sent his angels, as he did with Daniel here, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, to blind, maybe confuse the enemy, again, the same way that he did it for Daniel. Getting back to Daniel, they tossed him in, right, the king um, failed to deliver, right, he worked all day trying to deliver Daniel, trying to rescue Daniel, keep him from there, but even the, that king right there says that your Lord will deliver you. Shazave you. Continue the story. They put Daniel in the pit. They throw this big stone over it, just kind of the same way they rolled the stone over the, the tomb that Jesus was in. They sealed it. 
with the king's signet ring and all those satraps who were tricking him and plotting against him, they all sealed it too. So to make sure that that, that wasn't going to get opened and everybody would know if it got opened, they couldn't duplicate that again. So the plot again thickens and plays out here. The king spends a sleepless night, no food, no entertainment. And in the morning, he rushes to that pit, right? That pit of despair, right? Shouts down to Daniel, not expecting uh, a reply. It says this in verse 20. When he, the king, got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, look at how he talks. Was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Right? That word anguish, uh, that means uh, hopelessness. He was, he was absolutely, he thought, this is hopeless. Why am I even doing this, right? He didn't expect to get any reply back again. But Daniel, Daniel in the pit, right, in the mess, says this to him. He says, Dan, then Daniel spoke to the king. He said, oh, king, live forever, because that's what you say to a king. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me. Inasmuch as I was found innocent before God, and towards you also, O king, I have committed no crime. It says, Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted his God. And then, sort of in the vein of snitches get stitches, right? Those guys who plotted against him, they get tossed into the pit, and they, let's just say, they didn't have a good day when that happened. And then the most amazing thing possible comes out of this whole mess, right? If we recap just for a moment here, you know, Daniel just did what Daniel does, right? They said, well, you can't pray to anybody, and Daniel said, I'm, I'm going to pray. You know, I'm, I'm just going to do that. Daniel, he did nothing wrong, right? And yet, Daniel doesn't complain, doesn't fight it, doesn't argue it. If anything, <clears throat> excuse me, if anything, I'm sure he confessed, you know, these, these guys bring him in front of the king. This, does, this isn't in scripture, but the guys bring him in front of the king, you know, and accuse him of praying. And the king would say, did you pray? And Daniel would have said, yeah, I prayed. Three times I prayed today. Opened my windows, dealt on the floor, faced Jerusalem, <clears throat> praying to the living God. And then God uses that historical moment. And um, the king Darius um, then writes a decree, right? Let's see here in verse 25. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people, nations, and men of every language who were living in the land. He said this. This is what he wrote. May your peace abound. I make a decree. Now remember, once a king makes a decree, it can't be reversed. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. And then listen to what he says here. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his domain will be forever. This is the king saying this, right? Persian king now. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus um, the Persian. So, you know, we could say the same thing that Joseph said to his brothers, you know, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. Right? God took this moment in history and changed a king. He already knew all this stuff, but now there's just no denying it. There's no going back. This is the living God. He said, I'm making a decree that this is the God that everybody's going to worship because he is the living God. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will live forever. He rescues, performs signs and wonders. Now, 
as I said, the book of Daniel is a book about joy. So there's joy of the Lord in the hearts of, of Daniel and of this king. Because God delivered Daniel from all that potential harm. Literally impossible. The king went there with an impossible situation. He thought, there's no way this is going to work. Hopeless. But he tries it anyways. And we find kind of ourselves in that same situation on a daily basis. Although we might not realize that pit of lions that's around us all the time. The enemy, we talk about how, the, how scripture tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, what's the thing that shuts that lion's mouth? The same thing that shut the lion's mouth with Daniel. It's our Savior. Because if we fast forward uh, about 525 years, fast forward. That's the night the angels were proclaiming joy to the world that Barbara was reading about here a second ago. The Messiah had come to deliver his people, to save them from sin, death, and the power of the devil. His name shall be called Emmanuel because he will save people from their sins. And just as the king, remember that King Darius was not able to save Daniel? That's impossible with people. And we try to save ourselves. We try to come up with some plot, some idea, some way to get in our, to deliver ourselves. But we need that angel to shut the mouths of the lions, just like the angel shut the mouth of the lions for Daniel. Jesus has shut down the power of death. Jesus has shut down the power of death. So when we allow Jesus into our hearts, and that's the key, Allow Jesus into our hearts, into our lives. And yes, when we live our lives for him, right, he promises to deliver us from death. Sometimes it's going to be a little more obvious than others. Sometimes it's going to be in the pit of lions. Sometimes it's going to be a plane crashing in Bosnia. But other times it goes by a little unnoticed in our lives and in our minds. But he promises to deliver us from death. That should amaze us on a daily basis. And instead of that earthly king that we would be looking into that pit of despair, our heavenly king welcomes us with open arms. That heavenly king welcomes us with open arms. And when we're pulled out of that pit of despair, when we are delivered from sin, death, and the power of the devil, and our heavenly king greets us after all of this is done, he says some amazing words to us that we all should long to hear. He says, well done, good and gracious child. Amen? Let's stand, please.